0: Beer, 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 beer. Do you like beer? Do you want to learn how to make your own beer? It's time for Just Brew It. Brought to you by Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Here's your host, Jeremy White and Burt Deister. Good morning. Happy Saturday. Good Saturday morning. Jeremy White, Burt Deister on Niagara Traditions. Just Brew It on ESPN 1520. Happy week after National Homebrew Day. Happy,
1: yeah, happy week after. So happy cleanup weekend, I guess we could call it. Also Mother's Day weekend. Yep. So happy Mother's Day. Good weekend to clean up after National Homebrew Day weekend.
0: How things go for uh, the Good. demonstration? Good. And everything?
1: Class went well. Demonstration went well. We had a couple little problems on the brew, not you know, major difficulties. We'll get into those later. But we did make the uh, Belgian triple with the Concord. Grape juice. Mm. So we ended up going for it. We had the the starter going of a Trappist style yeast the night before. So we knew we were going to do a big Belgian. We just didn't know what yet. Um, And we were kind of floating that around. So we've had the new Singer Farms Tart Cherry Juice and Concord Grape Concentrate in. Um, They're about 68 bricks, so they're pretty concentrated. Uh, And we decided we wanted to make a beer with those. So what we did is we basically made a really light bodied triple on or light i'm sorry light colored you know fair bodied triple on uh saturday and then um on monday we dumped in the uh concord grape concentrate it's pasteurized in a sealed container so all we had to do was spray some star sand on the outside crack it open put it in measure our new gravity so it brought us up a little over 24 points so it's somewhere Mm -hmm. around 25 points or more um and uh worked out really well saw the fermentation instantly within 20 minutes just start right back up so it just about died you know after 48 hours we're getting a slow trickle of co2 we put the tart cherry juice in there um i gave it a little bit of a shake and it started right back up again so it'll be interesting to see where that finishes out on the gravity and how it tastes and we'll have some bottles at the store around for the next tasting very don't think that's one we're going to put on tap the triple yeah it's a little, I think 9%, little, yeah. little big beer to have on draft.
0: Right, you know? right. That's a big beer to kind of go for uh, in a demonstration like that, just to really...
1: It, it, it usually doesn't make stuff that harder. I mean, we kind of accounted for our efficiencies. We put in a little bit of extra grain. We had some problems with boil-off with the kind of changing, temperature-changing humidity. We didn't qu- quite get the boil-off we wanted to, which we'll get into today's topic later on. But, um, yeah, as far as the... Uh, doing the bigger beer, if you're willing to accept that lower efficiency, and because we were in a demo, because we wanted to do a shorter mass to try to move things along for the people watching, we knew that we were going to be hitting somewhere around 65 to 70 percent. So we accounted for that ahead of time, um, and everything worked
0: out all right. All right. Was your inspiration that last week we talked all about making fruit beer?
1: Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. I've been, and that was, so I've been talked about fruit beer because we had those concentrate and some new purees, and and then I said, well, if i got to talk the talk i gotta walk the walk so i really wanted to use one so that was our excuse i'm all set on i think i'm all set on draft beer light beer for the summer so now it's time to turn around and focus on some bottled projects you know what i mean especially as the weather gets warmer here yeah Uh, a little easier to ferment those belgians and big beers in the warmer weather
0: outdoor brewing appears to be here to stay i mean weather has broken I think yes. last week, spring sprang, or spring has sprung, whatever yeah. you want to say. Yeah, are
1: waist high, there's flowers in the garden, the trees have, you know, leaves on them. Um, it's summer. Yeah. It's, I think we're out of the frost warnings, I hope. You know what I mean? I'm going to start moving some stuff outside. But that means that, you know, for a lot of brewers, and we especially saw this this weekend, a lot of people saying, oh, I've been stuck inside, my brew setup's out in the garage, unless I was willing, you know what I mean, to sit out there and shiver for a couple hours. Um I wasn't going to brew in the winter. And so a lot of people are moving back outside to brew for the summer. Um, And so we think you're safe now. You know, certainly the past week we've had the weather for it.
0: Um, When it comes to summer, summer draft supplies and and brewing supplies, I mean, I'd imagine you guys do some seasonal work too. So now Mm that the the summer season – is uh ready to roll you must be kind of stocked up on summer supplies
1: yeah and, and the draft systems are there not only for the the commercial people so if you're having people over you know you are come fall and football season you know you get a draft set up in the garage to you know get cut down on the returnables um we're getting plenty of those people in but for home brewers too the last thing that you want to be doing on a nice day in the summer is sitting in the basement cleaning bottles um, so a draft system immediately cuts down the time on that process, you know what I mean? And you can, you know, have a kegerator out in the garage in the basement and just throw all of your, you know, batch into one big bottle. Uh, and it certainly saves you a lot of time, you know, per batch, you know, two hours, every batch that you would commit to, bottle cleaning, priming, and stuff like that. And I think two hours is a safe estimate. But for all your other summer brewing needs, we also have high BTU propane burners, wort chillers. Uh, if you're you know, just into kegging, we have keg line cleaning kits in stock, ready to go whenever you need one.
0: All right. Wine coolers? Wine coolers.
1: So this is something we got a question Asked about a couple of times over the weekend, uh, some customers with the discount were thinking about picking up, we do have wine cooler kits at Niagara Tradition. This is something we've had for well over two decades. <laughs> we don't, we've never talked about, maybe because of pride, um, but we do have wine cooler kits kits at Niagara Tradition. Now, traditionally, you would make these as a sweet, still wine, bottle them in wine bottles, and you would get something similar to a like Arbor Mist or something like that, a mm-hmm. wine base. So like, say, you know, a Zinfandel wine base with cranberry to back-sweeten it. So you, you make a traditional wine, you know, about 9%, and then you back-sweeten it with a fruit juice. And then the whole kit has the, you know, the pasteurized fruit juice in there. It has a pasteurized wine juice. Um, It has, uh, you know, all your additives, all your instructions ready to go. Um, But uh, probably 10 years ago, some of the brewers started to get their hands on these. And because us brewers don't like bottling, they would just throw it into a keg, which was kind of a nice surprise when you got this kind of tart, nice sparkling, wine cooler on tap. Now, I'm sure having wine cooler on tap has made trouble for many of a backyard barbecue and, you know, 10% light zesty, you know, fruit wine on tap. Can you know throw a monkey wrench into the plans of people's afternoons by immediately incapacitating them? But people are still doing it, so it's it's a wonderful little thing if you want to add something onto a tap for summer, especially if you're kind of finding it hard to find the time to brew. So you can always throw together an extract kit, right? You know, and that will only take about an hour and a half. Um, or you can also make a wine cooler and throw it on tap. You can stabilize it; it will last almost indefinitely in the keg. So if you have any left over, you can set it off in the side of the basement and pull it out again next year. But this is something I wanted to throw out there because we had a couple of people asking questions about it this weekend. Um, and it's, you know, something that's interesting to try. I have to say, I did it once. Um, wasn't a big fan of it at first. It's kind of at the end of the summer came along, really became a fan of, you know, pouring myself a little glass, you know what I mean, uh, on a weekend or something like that. Uh, but it went over very popular um, for those kind of non-beer fans on really hot days. So if you, if it's a hot day, uh, you have friends over normally you know, wine drinkers or something like this. The you know the kind of mist wines are a little bit lower in alcohol. They're very fruity, very zesty, uh, and can make you very popular for backyard ga- gatherings.
0: All right. Wine coolers. I never thought we'd hear the words. Yeah,
1: well, do you want to know what somebody? A couple of people had had some at somebody's, you know, house last year. Loved it and said, "Where do we get these things?" And I kind of pointed over. It's like we've had them sitting there for twenty years. You know what I mean? But uh, they've moved over those twenty years. They definitely have a faithful following. Um, You know, they range in I think the fifty-five to seventy-dollar range, um, and usually get about an eight to ten percent, you know, fruit wine out of it. So a nice little deal.
0: Uh, hop rhizomes. We already did the hop planting guide. Yeah, back and I said
1: mine are waist high, so they're they're moving fast. You can plant them all the way till June, but we have them now. Get them in the ground if you can. If you okay. have the time, if you're doing your other gardening, you know, pick a place for them. Get them into a pot now. Move them to a soil later. You can absolutely do that. Um, but you'll be glad come fall when you have this wonderful perennial ornamental that you can make beer with. Um, added bonus. Uh, Come fall, so we have those. If you want to go back uh, last month's episode, the last episode of the month, the twenty-eighth, we have our hop planting guide. So everything you need to know about getting your hops started and getting them into the ground.
0: Okay, and uh, the big topic today Today. is a new brew pot. Choosing a new brew pot
1: (laughs) because I'm thinking about getting a new brew pot. What's the reason for thinking about it? The boil off on the uh, triple it kind of screwed with our efficiency. Now I've always used. Kegels and I, I used to brew primarily outdoors on propane. Um, so, if anybody who brews a Kegel, our biggest complaint is going to be one, they're hard to clean, two, they're heavy, and then the biggest one, the one that actually affects the beer, is you get horrible boil off. You cannot get enough water out of the pot. And you think, oh, what's the big deal? You can, you know, do a lower, um, you know, Volume, you'll end up at the same volume, but that really hits your efficiency, and there can be some worries about it. So my big worry is having DMS, dimethyl sulfate, that kind of vegetable flavor that comes from the malt. That if you don't get a hard enough boil, you can't get it off. So what happened is during the winter, um, we had you know low pressure, uh, you know dry air, cold temperatures, doing natural gas on my uh, keggle, I was getting. Okay, boil off. We'll say, okay, somewhere around, I think my total evaporation loss between cooling and boil was 15%. Not a lot by home brewer standards, but 15% and it was manageable. So the more water I can boil off, the more water I can use to mash and sparge, which means the more sugar I'm going to get out of every single batch of grain. Um, But I'm noticing such a difference because I have such a slow margin that when the temperature has gone up, the humidity especially has gone up, and then you try to brew on a nice sunny high-pressure day, and I'm boiling off like I think total evaporation was like 6 to 8%, which is really kind of at the unacceptable amount. So I'm thinking about either pulling out an old brew pot to try to rig it so it can fit half inch, MPT stuff and all my new accessories, or we have a lot of new really well-priced pots. So I'm starting to take a look at some of those because it might be cheaper and easier in the long run for me to actually buy a whole new pot, especially with the weight on the scrap that I could get on my Kegels. Now, if anybody listening out there, don't worry. I will not scrap the Kegels before trying to sell them for somewhere around their scrap value first. I would never do that. Mm-hmm. But I don't I don't even say that if I replace them, I'm gonna get rid of them, to be quite honest. I have to admit that right now. Um, that if I buy the new brew pot, the Kegel will probably go into the basement and every once in a while be used for a hot liquor tank or for cooking or something like that. So I probably won't get rid of it because I have too much personal attachment but I'm really considering it because I'm having a bunch of problems. So this episode is really not on why not to get a Kegel. Um, and I'll kind of talk about if you decide to go that way, what your pros and cons and um, you know what I mean, what you need to do to rig it up, but really what you're looking for in a new brew pot and the kind of pros and cons for different materials, different you know, sizes and you know, styles of rigging and stuff like that. So that's really gonna be the focus of today's show.
0: Okay. Let's get to that on the other side. Now that you've decided you want a new brew pot, um, let's talk about choosing a new brew I pot. I've
1: decided that five years. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm ready to buy a new brew pot
0: now. Gotcha, <laughs> gotcha. All right, buying a new brew pot. That's up next on Niagara Traditions. Just brew it here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White here for Niagara Tradition Home Brewing Supplies. You're listening to Just Brew It, which means... Either you homebrew or you're thinking about it. Wherever you are in the process, Niagara Tradition Homebrew is your source for everything homebrewing. Do what I did. Get a starter kit, and you'll be well on your way. Niagara Tradition will be there to answer your questions, give you advice, and as I try to become a more seasoned brewer, I know I can count on Niagara Tradition to be there with the supplies and the advice I need. Niagara Tradition Homebrewing Supply 1296 Sheridan Drive near Military in Tonawanda. Open Monday through Friday, 11 to 7, Saturdays 10 to 4, and 24-7 at nthomebrew.com. Niagara Tradition Homebrew. Pay them a visit, and remember to just brew it. Back on Niagara Ditions, Just Brew It here on ESPN 1520. Jeremy White and Okay, so choosing a new brew pot. So the first thing you want to look at is material, and there's really no
1: question here. You want stainless steel. Yes, there are other things that are appropriate, and they work. And if you're a new brewer, yes, an enamel pot will work. You know, aluminum, if you put some real work into pacify it, it, could work for just simple extract beers. I wouldn't trust it for anything else. Um or like you want to stay away from teflon coated so but if you're looking to purchase a you know orientated brew pot not something you're going to double purpose for cooking or canning you want stainless steel and the big question is stainless versus aluminum because you do see some brew pots out there and aluminum or some people using them um and what happens is aluminum is one slightly alkaline and two compared to stainless steel it oxidizes very easy um so if you think about uh, aluminum siding, right? You ever see a lot of like aluminum sided house, uh, mm-hmm. not vinyl, and they're all white, right? Or some type of light gray, but they all have this matte kind of white finish to them. And that's because they're not actually painted or finished. They were put up there as bare aluminum, and then just the water, the sunlight, the, you know, the humidity in the atmosphere, the minerals in the atmosphere slowly oxidized the aluminum. So if you go up there and you scratch it, if you have to cut some of it, if you have to install some new, you just leave it up there and it quickly, just sitting out there, just sitting out, not really, not boiling any water in it, it attracts these precipitates, it attracts this oxidation. Now, when you have a brew pot with that aluminum, what happens when you put your beer into it? The beer is acidic, it's a wonderful medium and it pulls all these elements, all the oxidation, all the precipitates right off the aluminum. And so the aluminum, when you're done, goes from this opaque white. You know what I mean? Into this kind of, you know, nice and shiny again. Well, where did that opaque white stuff go into your beer? Hmm. And you can taste it. I mean, the horror stories we've had are people buying, um, you know, pots, nice big brew pots. Oh, it's just wonderfully easy to cut and put in compression fittings. And then the first batch they get through there oxidizes and it, it tastes metallic and it has this you know funny color to it, this gray bluish color. And that's like the surefire sign that your aluminum pot leached something into the beer. Um, so you really only want to go with stainless steel. Yes, you can quote unquote pacify the aluminum and uh, hopefully if you do that right before the batch, there's no oxidation to pull off. Um, but you really really want stainless steel. I can guarantee you that anything that you get at a reputable homebrew shop will be stainless steel. And anything that is stainless steel, there'll be no question to it. The packaging will advertise it. It will say, you know, stainless steel, not just stainless, but stainless steel. So that's the the biggest thing That you want to look at. Everything else we're going to talk about today is going to be convenience, um, you know, efficiency related, whether it's to the efficiency of your beer or the efficiency of how much propane you're using. But the material itself is a one key factor. If you get aluminum, I guarantee you, even if you put a lot of work into it, eventually you're going to ruin a batch of beer. So go for stainless steel if you're buying a purpose built brew pod. Okay. All right. So the next thing we need to talk about is size. Um, and I think the general rule of thumb, and I tend to agree on this for the most part, is bigger is better. It's not like a fermenter where you have to fill half of it or even a third of it. Um, I know a lot of people that brew five gallons on 16-gallon brew pots. With my Kegel, I'm brewing five gallons on a, like a 13-gallon brew pot. So I'm Even at the highest point, less than filling my brew pot, but that means I have more room for boil over. I have more room um, for stirring and aeration, and I just have more splash room for every time I add hops. I throw in a wort chiller. I throw in, uh, you know, a uh, hop spider, a couple thermometers, and I'm actually raising up the liquid there because I'm throwing volume into the brew pot so once you get all the accessories you know what I mean you have a you know big thick wort boiling up that extra space is really helpful so generally you want to go bigger and better but the one you know kind of worry here is what can you fit what will work well with your system Um, so we have had plenty of people come in they'll get the nice you know uh, tri-clad brewer's best Uh, it's got a real nice look to it you know, nice volume, about 10 gallons, and then they'll get home and they can't fit it under the hood of their, you know, of their, their kitchen the area. Range, so, yeah. yeah. The range. So you have to kind of take some measurements, you know, if you have a burner already, take some measurements of the burner. You want to make sure the pot is going to sit comfortably safely on there. Um, you have to store this brew pot when you're done with it, you know, and that's, that's what I will get flack for when I replace my Kegel is the fact that I'm still keeping around basically a 15-gallon brew pot sitting in the basement. Um, And so you got to think about those things. But you definitely want at least 50% of your batch size. So if you're making a um, 5-gallon batch, you at least need a a 7.5-gallon. If you're making a 10-gallon batch, you need at least a 15-gallon pot. Again, a little bit bigger will make it easier. Next thing you have to look at are ball valves, um, because you can get some really good screaming deals on pots that don't have the ball valves in them. One of the reasons is there's a big price range on ball valves, and two, it's a lot more work. Somebody has to actually have- to either weld on a ferrule or tap out or hand punch one of these pots. So you can save some money uh, by getting a pot without a ball valve. And you can always put on a ball valve yourself later on. I mean, a simple kit costs you 22 bucks. comes with the compression fitting, you know, the O-rings. Um, and I think like $25 will get you into an all stainless kit. So everything is stainless or silicone. So you can very cheaply add your own, you know, spigot mm-hmm. onto here. Um, But one thing is if you don't have a ball valve, um, while it'll be easier to clean, you know what I mean, it'll be easier to dual purpose the pot if you decide to cook in it, make pasta sauce or something like that, you do have to understand that every single batch you will either be pouring it or siphoning it off. So if you're doing a 10-gallon batch, you know, in a 15-gallon brew pot, you get to the end of the boil, you're not going to be able to lift that even with some help and then accurately get that into, say, a carboy or a bucket, you're going to need something to move it to transfer it over there. And this is where the ball valve helps. You can aerate, you can trickle it down, Um, It even works as a handle. I wouldn't encourage this, but I know a lot of burgers do it as you kind of pour your beer over into the fermenter. So if you're not going to have a ball valve, you're going to have to either pour or siphon, you know what I mean? If you're doing this outside, not a big deal. If you're doing it inside where you can make a really good mess, now it's a big deal. So the next thing to look at is boil off. And this is what I'm looking the most at because it's been my biggest problem. This is your motivating factor for doing this. If I make the right decision, I'm going to very easily be able to up my efficiency because I'll be able to put, oh, and this batch would have been an extra almost two gallons of water I could have thrown in on the sparge. Um, And so there's a couple of big factors when it comes to boil off. Uh, The first one is shape. Wider pots that have more surface area, so you have more, you know, surface area of liquid against the dry air, are going to give you better boil-offs. One of the reasons why my keggle is kind of bad is because it's tall and narrow for its size. So having a wide pot. More surface area, you're going to get better boil off. You're also get a little bit more scorching. Scorching. So there's a little bit of a yin and yang to this kind of, you know, pro and con to the having the boil off. Meaning that, like, if you're boiling off like 50%, you know, 40% of your wort, you're going to have problems in the other way. You're going to have a lot of caramelization. Um, you're going to get these really rich beers and you have scorching on the bottom of the pot. But at the other end, you worry about DMS. So having a wide pot makes for better boil off. Having a light pot makes for better boil off. So if you have a thinner metal, um, you have to put less BTUs to heat up the metal. Um, The heat gets through faster, and you also deflect less. So again, Kegel, big, thick aluminum, or I'm sorry, stainless steel, you get a lot of deflection. If you have an aluminum insulating or uh, distributing plate, or what they call the tri-clad bottom, so that's an aluminum plate, has, you know, doesn't have as good heat efficiency, trying to disperse some of the heat at the bottom. That will cut off on how many BTUs are actually going into your beer. So the heavier your pot is, if it has an insulation plate, that means you're putting more BTUs into those you know, bits of metal and less into the beer. So the shape of the pot, the weight of the pot, this will all affect the boil off. And again, not having a right or reliable boil off will not only screw with your efficiencies, but it could cause some of those DMS problems as well. Mm -hmm. So you wanna make sure that you have a really good boil off. Um, So kind of getting into the pros and cons directly about the Kegel. You get a big pot, the metal is a very heavy gauge. So while it's hard to cut, it's easy to weld. And it's easy to cut in the fact that it's hard to make a mistake. Thicker metal is easier to cut because it tends to flake off. While a thinner metal, you don't kind of take chips out of it. You are liable to tear it right at the end of the mm-hmm. cut. So if you have a thicker metal, it's going to stay together. It's going to be easier to tap. It's going to be easier to put uh, compression fittings. And probably the reason I initially went with this, and this goes, I, I guess it's a factor in my new pot as well, they looked really cool. You know what I mean they had the old brewery markings sure, on yeah. there you know they they look like a keg they look cool and some of the new props are made to look cool blickman did a whole big redesign from their G1 to their G2 mainly around changing the look of it to make it look more like sm- less like small scale brewery more like big commercial large brewery with you know their brush stainless and stuff like that. So looks are a factor. And then the cons on the big heavy Kegels or any big heavy if you get a big heavy cookware pot, um, you're gonna be you have some decisions about where to cut it. And especially with the Kegel, you have to cut the top off somehow to be able to get, you know, actually stuff into the pot. So you have that decision to make. Um, you have a dimpled bottom in the Kegel so you're always gonna leave a little bit of warp behind and you better have a really good heat source if you want a big heavy pot because like me natural gas on a Blickman burner just isn't cutting it with that thing on the 10 gallon batches I'm just not I can get up to a boil I can't get the boil off that I'm looking for though when I'm outside I'm on propane you know jet burner I'm in good shape But when I'm inside natural gas, I'm having problems. Mm -hmm. So those are kind of the pros and cons. I mean, once I properly converted it, I still only had a 13 gallon pot. So I really can't do those 10 gallon batches in there, or at least not how we want to. I guess the kind of bad efficiency is kind of working for me on this one.
0: All right, very good. And the prices have come down? Way down. So here's
1: the big factor. Um, if you come into Niagara Tradition, no sales, no deal. We can get you into a three hundred four um, stainless steel pot, sixteen gallons for under a hundred dollars. For anybody who bought pots more than ten years ago, this sounds crazy.
0: How much were they then?
1: Um, that similar pot, two hundred and fifty bucks. Wow. Um, they this machine. There was not only has like Polarware's price come down there's now a lot of competition in this market. So if you think about about before, if you were looking for a custom brew pot, there was only Blickman Polarware. Now you have like SS Brewtech, you have a bunch of other companies making these stainless steel pots. Um, So despite the fact that stainless steel has actually gone way up in price, the popularity of home brewing and the added manufacturers have brought the price on these stainless steel pots way down. Because other than home brewers, you know, people looking for these, you know, pots. How many people do you know make ten gallons of chowder outside a commercial I, kitchen? Ten gallons of anything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Besides beer, I, I really don't know anybody who right. makes ten gallons of anything. Um, so. It, it, that's really was the major factor to it is there's more being made. There's a lot more options out on the market, whereas before you basically had to go with one of these big two, you know, and you're looking at the $300 plus range, you know, for like Blickman or Polarware, or you had to buy a really expensive, uh, you know, commercial kitchen kettle and then convert that into a homebrew kettle. So your options have, you know, gone through the roof and the price has come way down.
0: All right very good that'll do it for us selecting a brew pot everything you need to know about uh getting the right one for you yeah it's a lot of decisions to make come on in and
1: talk to us we have all of the different you know popular brands in stock ready to go right up from those blickman you know g2s at like the 300 350 dollar range all the way down to you know Brewers best and polar wear at well under a hundred dollars especially you know if you're only doing five gallon batches yep. you only need an eight gallon pot
0: Enjoy the weather. Happy Mother's Day. We're back next week on Niagara Traditions. Just Brew It on ESPN
1: 1520.
0: You've been listening to Just Brew It, brought to you by Niagara Tradition Home Brew. Whether you're a seasoned brewer or just want to get started, visit them at 1296 Sheridan Drive in Tonawanda or online at nthomebrew.com. And be sure to tune in next week for another episode of Just Brew It.